Guys, sorry, it's a little late. I know you guys uh, know the schedule, which makes me feel really good. When it's Thursday and you guys are like, where is it? Where's the episode? That makes me feel good, because I know that you are waiting for that. Waiting for that ass. So I get a kick out of it. But so I feel bad now that it's, it's Monday and you haven't got your fix yet. So here we go. Here it is. Today's episode is uh, weird and down a rabbit hole that, uh, to be honest, I, I, I struggled with. I'm not a mystical dude. I mean, my comedy could be a little magical, but mysticism starts to leave me in the dust. You know, like everybody, you know, remember there was this fad, this the Kabbalah, everybody was getting into Kabbalah. I was always like, well, what do people see in this? This is just straight up gobbledygook. But it really speaks to some people. Today we're not talking Kabbalah, although that'd be a good episode and we'll do it someday. Today we're talking Christian atheism and the the happiness of melancholy or something like that. My guest today was couldn't have been sweeter, smarter, more game, and more lovely. His name is Peter Rollins, and he's a Christian atheist thinker, speaker, theologian. He's got just a very weird and different form of spiritual conceptualizing that is uh, touching and deep and difficult to understand and, you know, tough for me as a person that's really pragmatically minded. I I thought he was just lovely and great, but I did not understand a lot of what we talked about. But that's okay, because there's a certain moment in the podcast, and I think that you will know what it is when you hear it, that I realized, aha, tonight is not for me, tonight is for the people that this message is really rocking and kind of giving a gut punch to. I've had so many people email me about this particular night's talk who are at the show, who are so touched and turned on by Peter and his thoughts. Not that I wasn't. I mean, look, don't get me wrong. I'm not. I I thought he was great, and I loved talking to him. But this evening was for some people that needed to hear what he had to say. And I hope that that's you listening right now. And if it's not you, then let the words wash over you because it's kind of a cool, fun, and funny night. And if it is you, get ready to get your fucking world cracked. This month's charity is UNICEF for Syria. Text 864-233, the word Syria, S-Y-R-I-A, 864-233, and you'll give $10 to UNICEF in Syria. It's so easy to do. You're on your phone right now listening, so why not just text 864-233. Another thing to remember is that my television program, Problematic, debuts April 18th. I couldn't be more excited. It's on Comedy Central at 10 p.m. on Tuesdays, talking the big topics, getting our Phil Donahue on. I'm so excited about it, man. I, I just hope that everybody here tunes in, because if you like this podcast, odds are very strong that you will love the show. And I love you. I have an episode next month coming out about the power of nonviolent protest that is months late, but I can't find the file. Somebody owes it to me. It's a long story, but it's coming your way. As always, we tape at the UCB Theater on the 2nd. We've changed now, so not as always. 
second Wednesday of the month at the UCB Theater in Franklin. So, hope everybody out there is doing lovely. Watch my show April 18th. Come see me live. I'll be at Clusterfest and I'll be at Bonnaroo. Come see me live the next six Thursdays in a row at Hollywood Center Studio. You can be a part of the studio audience for my test shows at oneiota.com. And click on the problematic link, and that's going to get you tickets to come see me live. So all these are options, man. All of these are options. And I hope that you enjoy today's episode. See you next month. Now entering Nerdist.com. The Houndball Discussion Series. Topics. Academia. Computer. History. The Hound Tall Discussion Series with your host, Moshe Kasher. We are live at the UCB Theater for another episode of the Hound Tall Discussion Series. Say hi. Hi. <laughs> like an obedient crowd. <laughs> Tonight we are talking about Christian atheism and melancholy as the road to happiness. I don't understand it either, but I'm excited to begin the conversation. Put your hands together for our guest. He is a theologian, a philosopher, a public speaker, an author, and a doctor of something. Existentialism? That's not the word at all. Put your hands together for Pete Rollins, ladies and gentlemen. There he is. Have a seat there, Pete. And then our uh, comedic guests this evening, Sarah Schaefer, Kurt Metzger, and Nick Thune. Say hi to them as well. Come on, give it up for them. There they are. There they go. Hello, Pete. How are you, man? Hey, I'm doing good. Great to be here. Isn't that that nice? (laughs) I didn't know when I first called Pete, and then that accent came through. I was like, oh, shit. Uh, Did you say Pete's a doctor? What's that? Did you say he was a doctor? Well, he's got a doctorate. In what? Cold Rock in it. Is that like a... Really? No, no. Wait, ask him. I I believe you because you were dressed like a vato. I'm right here. Yeah. No, I'm a real doctor. Medical doctors aren't real doctors. They're honorary doctors. They're what? They're honorary... Medical doctors aren't real doctors. What are they? They're... It's an honorary title. What's what? If, if, if on a, because you learned how to be a doctor. No, if, if if on a plane someone says, "Is there a doctor?" I can say, "I'm a doctor." And then in and then they say, "In what?" And you say, "Philosophy." And then they sit oh. back down. I guess I guess my oh, mom's somebody, dying today. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's no, not they're, no, they're like, not "Oh, useful. good," because somebody yeah. in the front row is having an existential crisis. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah That'd be kind of cool, actually. That, that the tables would be turned on you if they were in fact like, mm, "What am I? <laughs> what are you?" Uh, in fact, what, what is it that your doctorate is in? Uh, post-structural theory, kind of continental philosophy. Continental philosophy? That's yeah. about, like, thinking about breakfast? It's about dinosaurs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, by the way, you can't see it, but Kurt is both texting and riffing I have to go another time, show. Which is a high, yeah. that's a high level. I mean, oh, I wrote all my riffs down. Oh, you did? <laughs> yeah, and he I sent gotta, them to eight to friends. Um, we're talking tonight about, this was your suggestion, and I'm just curious about it. Well, let me say hi to everybody. Sarah, hi. How are you? I'm good. Hi. You grew up religious, right? Yes. You like, did? Mm-hmm. Like super religious. Mm-hmm. Was what? You did, was you did in your iPhone? No, I was a uh, Jehovah. <laughs> you were... You, were oh, a, a witness or religious. just a... I was a minister. Were you really? Yeah. I was a doctor, so... Hmm. Lots of people are doctors. What? Uh, <laughs> well, I thought that Jehovah's Witnesses didn't believe in doctors. You think of Christian scientists. No, I'm thinking of Jehovah's Witnesses incorrectly. 
Oh, you knew the whole time? Yeah. No. Wow. This is uh, Sarah. What 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 strand uh, of Christianity did you grow up in? Southern Baptist. Oh shit. Oh, it's like the vampires versus werewolves of us. Yeah. yeah this is like a fucked up childhood off. Yeah. yeah. And uh, are both of you completely a religious at this point? Uh, what do you mean? Like, I don't have a religion. Yeah, I don't know. I'm an atheist, but I'm not religious. But you're not religious anymore. Yeah, you're not a Christian any longer. No, no, I, I wouldn't call myself. Well, you know. still get shit stuck in you if you if it got beaten. That's you good Catholic, enough. right? But my mom was a converted Catholic, so she's like a Catholic Jehovah's Witness. Oh, how does that work? A lot of guilt and uh, ethnic abuse. <laughs> Those are the dudes that come. They, they have call like a it, stand uh, on the corner, and they they ask you if you've heard read the newspaper about uh, wine turning. I like into that blood. you called it a newspaper. <laughs> Is that what you Jews call the New Testament? I'm, ta- I'm talking about the Watchtower. I don't know about this new stuff. Uh, oh, the Watchtower. Yeah, the Watchtower and the Awake, the Awake and the Watchtower. What What's the worst thing about Jehovah's Witnessing? Um, you have to do it. Like, I always want to be Catholic because you don't have to do that shit. What do you mean? You definitely have to do that. No, you that don't. Shit. They don't kick you out. You, every mobster movie I ever see the guy, the priest, you have to leave because you're a murderer. They don't give a shit. You're saying your proof text about Catholic, Catholic dogma is mobster movies? I'm saying that's why I envied being a Catholic because it's not. It's a good every man religion. You're, it's only crazy if you actually do it. I like, feel like you have to check your source material. I, how am I wrong? Who's Catholic in here? Anybody? Did you do it? Of course not. You're not a tiny. You didn't even let him answer. He's a young man. I know he did. You and jerked off and you used birth control. I know you did. All right, and Nick, Nick, you also grew up pretty religious, right? Uh, yeah, I did grow up. I did grow up religious. You yeah. still kind of religious, or what do you? What do you like talking about it? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that I believe in God. I'm, I, I know I've had experiences before where God was uh, felt present. Yeah. Yeah. That's sort of what we were talking about today, Pete, is that, that, that when you call yourself a Christian atheist, you're not, in fact, calling yourself that in a rejection of a notion of God, but, in fact, a, a, an absorption of the multitude of what God can be. What does that mean to you? Yeah, well, when I use the word atheist, um, I believe that there are lots of gods, millions of gods. A god is anything that promises you wholeness and satisfaction. And the reason why I moved to L.A. is so because... So a girl that I met. So witchcraft. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the, me, the reason Two why I moved to San L.A. Diego, yeah. is because it's the most religious place I've ever been in the world. And I'm Irish, and I'm saying that, right? Yeah. Every, every corner has a priest and a prophet promising wholeness and satisfaction. That's the comedy store. Those are comics. Yeah. <laughs> it's not Jesus for real. Yeah. So, wait, what do you mean by that, that, every, that every, on every corner there's a promise of satisfaction? What if, do you mean? If you take ayahuasca, if you go to Burning Man, if you have enough fame, if you look the right way, if you go out with the right person, you will be whole and complete. You can get rid of your anxiety. You're saying this suffering. is an illusion that the world offers you. Yeah. You don't really mean that Burning Man brings you completeness. Yeah, that's I like how bur- the only thing you heard out of that was Burning Man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hold on. Oh, I want to uh, complete more complete than I thought. Your I real wanna, name is Burning Man, right? <laughs> I want to know how I can get more fium. <laughs> that's a uh, joke at the expense of your accent. Oh, all right. I'm from Little Rock, Arkansas. I just put this <laughs> on because, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, it works. But tell me, um, okay, so when, when there's people on every corner that are basically, you're essentially suggesting that the world is, is a, a series of hucksters offering you satisfaction. Yeah. So wh- why is that not? You're saying that's God? I, I'm confused. Yeah, well, God traditionally is, is that which 
promises to fill the lack in your life, to get rid of doubt, to get rid of uncertainty, to get rid of brokenness, to make you whole and complete. So that's a traditional notion of God. And I'm saying that in the secular world, that promise is alive and well on every corner. That's why I moved to LA, the tyranny of happiness. Everybody here has to be perfect. When I came here, I had Irish teeth. I mean, they were like a graveyard. You had you Irish know, teeth. Irish yeah. teeth, yeah. So yeah. like, kids would scream, women would pass out. And I had to do Instagram, or not Instagram, uh, ins- This Invisalign. feels like a story from the Bible, if yeah. I'm honest. No. <laughs> the I man had Irish teeth like I a graveyard. And the, the women would weep and gnash their teeth. They would. They would. I had to do Invisalign. You get 23 braces. Wait, and- are you an expert or a madman? I can't. <laughs> no, no, 23 <laughs> braces. And you put one in every two weeks, and it makes your teeth perfect, right? right. I to do that to kind of fill, fit in with, with LA and I've got them all so if I ever move back to Ireland I can get my original <laughs> teeth back you because can go if, back to having Pogue's teeth yeah <laughs> if, if I went back to Ireland with these people would what, think I was a god or they think you were a Mary or something yeah. <laughs> that's not the so, teeth of a man yeah. but LA that's the thing LA has this, this tyranny of happiness everyone has to be happy whole and complete if you're in on a Friday night there's this, this voice saying you should be having more sex you should be having more parties. Not me. You I've never be heard out. that voice. Do you know why? Yeah. I smash pussy a lot. Like, <laughs> but wife pussy. But wife pussy. I, like, and, like, and she loves it when I call it that. Yeah. Yeah. What? They okay. all do, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, well, let me t- have you take a step back, Pete. Yeah. Because uh, I, I understand that we, we, we've talked a little bit about this idea of the tyranny of happiness and that you mm. essentially, that essentially the promise of happiness or satisfaction is in fact the thing that... Oh my You're God, a prue, aren't but, you? I'm sorry? You're a prue. A prue? Prue. A, no, I'm a Jew. I'm a Jew. <laughs> You're a Jew. <laughs> a Jew. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. He, he really is Irish. <laughs> Wait, what do you mean a prue? A prue? You turned off your phone, professional. A prue? You got to be fucking prue. with me with that accent. Yeah. Prue? And you didn't back me up on the film thing. No way you... And now he's slipping prue in. <laughs> Wait, there's no way you thought that I would think you were saying pro. No, I, I'm not. I'm not trying to. I'm not for like uh, you know American exceptionalism. But like a prude, or, or, he meant. But I mean, you had to know that I would not know what you're talking. I about. I totally said prue. Okay. Yes, prue, I'm, a, I'm, prue, a prue. Prue. I'm a pro. So you say professional. <laughs> <laughs> Were you, You're a you, professional doctor. Did you grow up? Did you grow up religious? Um, no, no, not at all. Uh, not in the traditional sense. So, no. what was your religion growing up? Uh, agnostic, nothing. And what do you believe in now? I believe the world is full of gods, and we have to kill them. Okay. I feel like maybe you're just high. I can't tell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you told me on the do phone. Do you mean that- like? Is it like killing your idols? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, kind of. Oh, I thought you had like a dagger or something. Uh, I mean, I think the good news is life is shit and you don't have the answers. And that sounds like bad news. But if someone says to you that life can be wonderful and you can know the secret, that's bad news. Because that creates anxiety, that creates suffering, that creates destruction. Well, no, you've got to put out positive energy into the universe and it comes back. That's the secret. That's, yes, and that's what I'm against. <laughs> Fundamentally against. Oh, no, well, you can only get the reception here, like not in like Africa and shit. Yeah. yeah. Well, the, yeah. Se- the secret only works in it's America. It's the bars here. Yeah. We get four bars of the secret here. Well, yeah. <laughs> Oscar, Wilde, Oscar Wilde said there's only one thing worse than not getting what you want. And it's getting what you want. And basically, that's the problem with life. You're depressed if you don't get what you want, and you're depressed if you do. But he wanted boys. 
<laughs> I think that's the, one of his lesser known quotes. Yes, I, yeah. I want boys. That was a little voice. That was a little dot, dot, so dot. What, what, what do you think Oscar Wilde thought happiness was? Well, okay, so very briefly, uh, Freud said we have two things we want. There's the pleasure principle. Our mom and our mom. You mean yes, our mom. Yeah. Hold on. Yeah. Do you mean Freud? Freud. <laughs> Frodo. Frodo. Freud. Frodo. Frodo's Frodo. a close personal friend yeah. of yours, correct? Yes, he is. Yes. We're all short. We're all short. Yeah. That but ring brought him no happiness. Freud says there's the pleasure principle, which is I want to climb trees. I want to eat chocolate all day. I want to win all the games I want, right, as a kid. And then there's a reality principle. Your body won't let you climb trees. Your mum won't let you eat all the chocolate you want. But your wife will let you smash. Yes. <laughs> and, no, and, kids, and other kids want to win the games. And the idea is we think that if we could get rid of the reality principle and just get the pleasure principle, then we'd be happy. But Freud says, no, it's the reality principle that allows you to have pleasure. Of course. If, if you could have everything well, you want. I mean, that's, I mean, how would I know unhappy? when I'm done jerking off if it wasn't like that? Yeah. I mean, but that's, I mean, Townsman Zan. Hold on. Take that back one, one. <laughs> Kurt, you're saying that the reality is your cum. Like, that's when right. you look down it, and you're like, oh, be. a puddle. That's how you know. That's In how you know Ireland with those strong anti-abortion laws. <laughs> <laughs> I actually uh, agree with that slightly. Yeah. Because um, after I had a kid, which comes from cum. I've heard about that. Um, <laughs> now, have you told him that yet? He'll learn. You come from cum. Yeah. <laughs> there are a million gods, but hey. all of them are cum. Hey, buddy, sit down. Uh, I had no, a, not there. That's I had the like spot. A, uh, Move over. <laughs> I had like a slight confidence issue uh, after having him where I had a hard time working. Like, nothing else seemed important besides my cum that it created a thing. Your little cummy and, bear? And, uh, <laughs> and I found that in, in situations when I needed confidence or to be good, I had a therapist at the time that told me, um, when you're about to do this thing, just snap your fingers one time and just say Is to yourself. Serious? Yeah. Just, like, just say to yourself, I created a fucking person. Like, I'm fine. Interesting. I had a therapist once that... I asked them what they thought of a movie, and they were like, hated it. So it was like also a... Really? Yeah, also a snapping thing. Was, wait, was it one of the Wayans brothers? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're very good therapists as well as actors. But, right, but you're essentially... I, I'm, I'm trying to wrap my, my yeah. mind around what you're saying here, Pete. Yeah. Because uh, I want, I want well, to. He's get... saying if there is no dark, there's no light. No, I get that. I think I get some of the, the philosophy about it, but I'd like to figure out how to how to suss it out. In Can a I more... ask a, a serious thing that's not a jerk off question? I swear to God. Sure. <laughs> well, because I used to, jerk I used to, yeah. <laughs> you jerk off backwards or forwards? <laughs> uh, it, you know, I change it up. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> but cause I used to be like, oh, we should kill all the gods. I remember when I stopped being religious, and then I started to notice people that were very secular kind of like there was a whole package deal i noticed of like the secular atheist kind of progressive person where it became very dogmatic where i was like i escaped my cult to the world for what like it's still the same dogma that you better adhere to and now since there's no god involved now your morals derive directly from your politics instead of the other way around Okay, and a lot of these fucking people should probably find Jesus because I think they'd be happier. They're like miserable fucks. It's all based on, aha, uh-huh, you're gone forever, and that's you just see an endless cycle. You're, of that you're saying there's like a, a kind of atheism that's become dogmatic in and of itself, where they. The oh, yeah. It's just the power vacuum. I notice when we kill the Saddam Hussein of God, there seems to always be like an ISIS around the corner with. Him. 
But th this is, this like is what that. I'm arguing against. Is, so Nietzsche and Marx's argument against the atheism is that, so the idea is we're, we have magical thinking, but beneath magical thinking, there's a rational system we have to engage in. What's but an example of magical thinking? Magical thinking is you believe in angels, ghosts, or demons, sure. or whatever, okay. right? But both Marx and Nietzsche say, no, 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 no. With the enlightened world, there's rational thinking, but beneath there's all this magical stuff. So, for example, nobody here believes a duvet cover can protect you from a knife attack or make you invisible to an intruder. Did you say that? I got to make a call. Hold on. Are you talking? <laughs> but, but, You're but, not talking about snakes, though, right? No, well, that's the thing. At night, at night when it's dark and you hear a tapping on the window, you do. Nobody here believes in ghosts. You pull the ghosts. covers over your yeah, head. Yeah. yeah. Nobody here believes in ghosts until you hear a creak under the bed, and then you're like, what's under there? But the argument of Nietzsche and Marx is, is there's a whole pile of magical thinking. We don't know what we believe. Somebody says, I don't believe in God, but they're terrified of going to hell, right? There's people who... No. We, the whole point... When I moved to America, I found this. People think they know what they believe. That's a very bizarre thing. I mean, Socrates was the first to say, we're not transparent to ourselves. There are people here who think that nobody of the opposite sex would love them. There's people here who think that, uh, that uh, they're... They're despicable and worth nothing. But you don't know that. There's actually a couple of people here I know that are despicable. That are the, yeah. yeah, I can see a few in the front. No, we tried to yeah. sell them. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But, but we don't know our beliefs. To actually know what you believe is very, very difficult. Um, let me, let I, me, I, let, I agree let, with that. Let me, well, let that's me, kind of what I was saying. I don't well, think they know that they, they're like, oh, I'm an atheist, but I'm like, I don't think you are. So let me stop yeah. you there and actually take you a, a step back into your own personal past. Because you, you, speaking of the, the notions that we have about ourselves and the world around us, you've actually done direct work with deprogramming people. Yeah. Can you tell me a bit about that? Yeah. Well, a lot of people get to the point where they realize that their religious, political, or cultural beliefs are problematic, but they still operate within them. The Freud's insight was if you have tried to please your dad all your life, and then your dad dies, are you freed from trying to please your dad? Well, no. You still are trying to please your father, even though he's dead. So the idea is that some of you do things to either rebel against or to please people who are long since dead. They still live within you. Consciously, you know they're dead, but unconsciously, they live. But So, so how, do, how did you specifically work with people that needed yeah. to be deprogrammed from some of the stories they were telling themselves? Exactly. Well, so some people who come to see that they're part of an unhealthy political, religious, or cultural narrative. I grew up in Northern Ireland where it was a conflict between Protestants and Catholics. Bono. They, they knew it intellectually, yeah. They knew it intellectually, but we need a technology. Did you say Bono? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. It was basically Northern Ireland against Bono, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. No, Those like, proddy like cunts. Nick, Nick is like stroking his beard. Mmm, Bono, yes. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Uh, the Great War of Larry Mullen Jr. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. But we need a technology. Who you look like? Larry Mullen Jr. Yeah. That's a compliment. It Thank is. That's a guy. Oh, wow. yeah. Okay, I'll go home now. I'm happy. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'd say you look like the edge. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But we need technologies that help us, um, you know, deprogram. So, for example, comedians. Kierkegaard said, "What is a poet? A poet is someone who screams and cries in agony, but whose lips are so formed that when they cry out, beautiful music is formed. So when we say to the poet, sing to us again, we are saying, may new disasters befall you. And in the same way, what is a comedian? A comedian is someone who's... A poot. <laughs> a what? A poot. 
<laughs> I keep Are myself, you taking the piss out of my language? Of my no. accent? Well, actually, <laughs> he's the only one. All right. Speaking of, way. you have an accent to me, but no, I can. Yeah. By the way, that's to me too. By the way, I just went to Ch- I just went to China, and the dude I was with was Australian, and he spoke like perfect Mandarin. Which I mean, any Mandarin, I don't speak it, but. Imagine how hilarious, because Australian accents are hilarious, <laughs> sure. but Chinese Mandarin and that fucking accent, how hilarious that was to Chinese people yeah. with that no worries. They already kind of sound Chinese in a weird way. Like, it, right? did, like, it did. It did. Uh, he got in a fight with somebody. No, so they, they were, don't. No, like, hey, no, God. They <laughs> well, yeah. But here, here's the reason why you need a comedian. A comedian is someone who, oh, if, you, if you ever know comedians, they're all fucked up, right? A comedian wow. is someone who screams and cries in agony, but whose lips are so formed that when they cry out, funny jokes are formed. Is it agony, and, though, or anger? Well, it might be. I'm better, actually really happy. I know. Well, that's why you're not funny. I see you've been to the same therapist as yeah. me. <laughs> yeah. But the idea is we cannot ex- access our own suffering and brokenness. So we need some people to help us. We need good music good comedy, good art, to help access our own suffering, to mourn and to work through it. And that's what I do. That's what deprogramming is. You know that you have to mourn. You know that you have to let go of things. You know that you have to move on, but you can't. But tell me about some specific situations where you deprogrammed someone. Like from what and to what? Yeah, well, I, well, I, I do it in community, so we do it in groups. Well, tell me about that. Okay. Well, we use art and poetry and music to basically, right, so in L.A., there is a freedom to pursue what will make you happy. But what we create is the freedom from the pursuit of happiness. So you create... Freedom a... from the movie, The Pursuit of Happiness? Yes. <laughs> hey, oh, man, I, you're hey, doing the Lord's work. Sorry. <laughs> Whether you believe it or not. Where do we sign up? Oh, man, yes. Uh, now I believe. Uh, I'm looking for converts. Well, the, but it, 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 you literally create a space just like this. This mm-hmm. is what I had back in Belfast, 80, like 100 who, people. who would come? Like people that were radicalized? Like Bono. In, in, in... Bono. The no, Edge. But seriously, Larry people, that, people that were radicalized by the struggles in Northern yes. Ireland versus Ireland. Yeah. And, and Catholics peop- and Protestants who were at war with each other. And you would bring them together, some yeah. Catholics, some Protestants. So these are people that can't find forgiveness. Well, they still haven't found what they're looking for. <laughs> <laughs> that was actually... Uh, ah, you that was are actually, a oh, that true was, oh. poet. <laughs> <laughs> Kurt is just texting. It's amazing. <laughs> that was actually the first dance of my wedding. What's that? I still found still, a book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Now that's funny. You must be unhappy. Um, no, so angry. you would get some Catholics and some Protestants together in yeah. what? In a bar? In, in, your a, in a Republican in... bar that used to have IRA weapons yeah. hidden. Yeah. So and that's... what would you do with them? We would use a technology. So, like, basically, when you're suffering, there's two things you can do. You go to a sports bar, you get drunk, you listen to loud music, you have Indian conversations. Or you can go to an Irish pub. It's got the same liturgical technology. It's got drinks, music, and people. But instead of getting drunk, you have a drink and talk about your problems. Instead of music that, that pulls you away from your struggles, you listen to some Irish guy talking about how his one true beloved died of consumption and you'll never live love again. And you talk about serious things, right? That, that was the thing. We try to create an Irish pub atmosphere. That. I want to go there. Thank you. 
<laughs> I'm yeah. just, I think this is so funny. That's the most Irish anecdote of all time. <laughs> if you're unhappy, you've got two choices. Yeah. One go of... to a sports bar and get drunk with a bunch of lamos, or you go to an Irish bar, get drunk with deep Irish people. Yeah. Where would you well, rather be? No, not Listen. get drunk. Where would you rather something? be? Oh. At, two, at two o'clock in the morning in a sports bar, it smells of urine and piss, and that's just me. And, urine and, and, and piss. And, and, or, and, and vomit. Or in an Irish pub where it's loads of fun, people are singing, people are clapping, it's, it's a great laugh, right? In the sense that the Irish pub, you've had a few Everyone's hours of Guinness. talking about your issues and you have a laugh, or a sports bar where you feel if they turned off the music and turned up the lights Jameson. and you just had to look at each other for two seconds, you'd all be in tears. That's so funny. Is, this, is your whole philosophy just in ethnic superiority of the Irish? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes, pretty. Haven't you been paying attention? They saved civilization if you but read the book. You, but you called it, you, when, when, we, when we first talked, you discussed a concept called Christian atheism. Right? Yes. And so what, like what you're talking about to me sounds like sort of, yeah, like existentialist sort of philosophy or, yeah. or kind of Buddhist, right? To like kill, your, kill the things that make you desire, right? It, it's close, and, not, and not what, quite. But. And w- but what about what you believe in or what about you as a Christian atheist. What about the Christian part? Okay, well, so the Bible starts with an Oedipal story. If you know Oedipus, very basically, a guy wants to sleep with his mum. He fucked his His mum. Yeah, he he fucks his mum. His his dad gets in the way, so he kills Kills his dad. dad. He fucks his mum. Oedipus, man. He thinks it's going to be wonderful, but it's not. What do you like? like, (laughs) Someone's been reading my diary. (laughs) Nick's like like a philosopher hype man. He's like, kill the mum. (laughs) Kill that dad. (laughs) Fuck your mama. You seem to you like it. Um, I love Oedipus. Yeah, th- but th- th- yeah. <laughs> I mean, some might say too much. Yeah, I just very basic. I'm not gay dude. I just very basic. Yeah. I'm not gay, bro. I fuck my mom. Yeah. <laughs> but here, what does it mean? Dad. What does yeah, it mean? I'm my dad, bro. That's nasty. It's all. Yeah, but what does it mean? What does it mean? Right. It means the mother is a symbol of returning to an oceanic oneness, uh, uh, something that will oh, yeah, make yeah, you yeah. whole and totally. complete. Right? Okay. <laughs> That's a symbol, right? And, and if, if that doesn't happen when you're a child, something awful happens. You become Irish, right? Um, but if they, you differentiate, and, and, and you think when you get to the thing that you will make you whole and complete, you think it's going to be a blessing, but it's a curse, right? That's why I love the Twitter thing. You fulfill your dreams. You can be happy, whole, and complete. Absolutely pursue your dreams so you can Wait, realize the object you... horror of your dreams. Wait, you think Twitter is about fulfilling your dreams and being complete? I, I get, I get, I you get. You can't even complete a thought. There's so few characters. No, but you, but you get these posters. You get these posters. How long are your dreams? Be complete. Dude? Be whole. I think they're just a whatever. couple of seconds though, and it seems longer. Is why I read. So yeah. you're so, essentially the essentially that modern society is promising you happiness that yes, won't come. But then the, the Adam and Eve is an eatable story. There's a piece of fruit, and that will make you like God, which means whole and complete. That's what the serpent says. There's a prohibition, the father. You break the prohibition. You think getting the thing that will make you whole and complete will work, but it's a curse. It's a disaster. It's an Oedipal story. So the idea is the serpent is the voice in your head that says if you do X, Y, and Z, you'll be whole and complete. In psychoanalysis, that's called the superego. In theology, it's called the serpent. In psychoanalysis, the rule is to get rid of the superego that tells you if you have more sex, if you marry the right person, if you have enough money or fame, then you'll be happy. In theology, it's exorcising the demon, the, the Satan, which is that voice. And, and that what's left over when you exorcise that demon? Is, what's next? What's next is, is enjoying the struggle of life itself. Are you, oh, I thought you meant Wicca. Thank God. You. <laughs> are, you, are you, Pete, are you happy? You know, really relatively so, yeah. 
And in, in, are you claiming that, or claiming, I don't mean to cast aspersions yeah. on the, the, your sincerity, but are you, is the idea that you are happy because you've let go of the pursuit of happiness, not the film, but the reality? Yes. And, and can I just say, like, Camus, Camus, the French philosopher, he says that what we... So the absurd for Camus is living in the anxiety of between who you are and who you'd like to be and between what you have, what you would like to have, between a universe where you'd like to be the center and where it seems to resist, right? That's the absurd. And... Basically, there are religions of the pleasure principle that say you can get rid of anxiety by having everything you want. There are religions of the reality principle that say you can get rid of anxiety and the absurd by removing yourself from desire. But what I'm about is a religion of the absurd, which helps you enjoy your anxiety, and Camus calls it the rebel. The conservative is the one who tries to get rid of their anxiety by removing themselves from the world, saying, let's just leave it the way it is. The revolutionary tries to get rid of their anxiety by saying, I can imagine a better world where everything will be wonderful. The rebel is like the revolutionary, but they say, I'm going to struggle and fight for a better world, but there is no utopia. What you have is enjoying your symptom, enjoying the struggle, enjoying your dissatisfaction. So Marlon Brando is the ultimate rebel in the wild one, where someone says to him, what are you rebelling against? And Brando says, what have you got? Well, actually, later in life, somebody said to uh, Marlon Brando, what are you rebelling against? And he's like, I would like another cannoli. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did you see that thing where he'd row out in the middle of the pond shooting something and just eat ice cream by himself on a rowboat? He did not die happy, speaking of which. He, yeah. he, he pursued he happiness. Lived life yes. well, well, I'm yeah. not offering happiness. I'm offering I, freedom from happiness. And people say, that sounds very depressing. And I promise you I'm not trying to make you depressed. I'm telling you that you already are depressed. You just don't know it, right? <laughs> so w- let me ask you this. So I had a therapist... I, I think you might have seen this therapist, Moshe. You, I might have seen that therapist? Yeah, you might have gone to this therapist. Oh, interesting. Okay. I mean, I'm not um, fucked up in the head, so doubt it. But, <laughs> but go ahead. I'm listening. <laughs> I just start crying and leave. <laughs> I know you've at least seen him in person. Sure. And uh, at one point, uh, like a girl was hitting on me, and I was telling him about it, and I was saying it was frustrating, and, and my wife was aware of it because it was public kind of in a way. And I just was like trying to deal with like, you know, both sides of this with my wife and this person getting rid of them and whatever. Could you, who, what's the and name he of the person? Said, yeah, come on. He said, do you want to have an affair? And I said, no. And he said, well, I disagree with that. He's like, I don't think you should take having an affair off the table. You know, Who that was a private conversation, man. I didn't think you were going to bring no, it out right now. No, but when he said, I don't think you should have an affair off the table, <laughs> and I was like, well, what do you mean? He's like, because if you take it off the table, then you're going to desire it. Yeah, that's very key psychoanalytic idea, which yeah. we could talk about, but anyway, yeah. But, yeah. but isn't that what you're talking about, though, yeah. about religion in, in, in any way? Yeah, I mean, like if you're trying to diet, the worst thing you can do is try to diet, because... In a sense, there's a voice inside Adderall. you telling oh, you... pussy. Uh, yeah. Adderall. No, if you're trying to diet, what you do is you cheat on your wife, trying right? Trying to eat less. Yeah. And in that well, way... You're trying to eat less pussy. One hand washes the other. The pounds fly <laughs> off. So no. if you're trying to diet, you shouldn't focus on, I'm on a, I'm yeah. a, on well, a if, diet. Well, if you say to a kid, don't open that door when I leave the room, 
they suddenly want to open the door when you leave the room. The more you try to resist something, the more you try and want it. Grace is the name for allowing yourself, just accepting that you're accepted, accepting that everything's fine. And that's, that's actually, the moment that you can accept that you don't have to change is ironically the moment where you can change. One example of this, somebody, this woman who Wait, went... Sarah, what? You got it's something? It's reminding me of this beautiful Lannis Morissette song. <laughs> Thank you, India. Thank you, Clarity. The moment I jumped off of it is the moment I finally touched down. No, that song is garbage. Thank you. Well, what he said was ironic, so I guess it's not like a song. I do want to say something, because what you're saying to me sounds um, very much like Uh, the teachings of Christ in their most crystallized form to me. I mean, I went, I was raised Southern Baptist, but I had like a really chill youth pastor. <laughs> I mean, oh, super yeah. like, Go, like, like goatee. Truly, truly the most Christ-like person I've ever met in my life. He's truly, no, I'm serious. Well, I don't I know why that's fun funny. Of he's kind of swarthy. Member. He worked with There's wood. an earlier thing where there was an audience <laughs> member who's like, what's up? I'm fucking down with Jesus. Yeah. So I was like making fun. That, that, this is, are you my, are you Mike? Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, but Jesus is saying Christ, sir. I'm he, with you. he floats over. No, I'm not yeah. Mike. <laughs> Which was to get rid of your desire. You know, I, I feel like there's a lot of things that he, Christ said that was very much about, you know, blessed are the meek, blessed are the poor. Like, the people who are not pursuing these ridiculous, um, you know, earthly things or, is or, how or, it's phrased in the Bible. But I think if you remove some of the, like, crap that the church put on that. Even without yeah. it, though. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Here, here's the... Yeah, I mean, I'm arguing that the Wait. Christianity of its core... eating weed right now. Yeah, <laughs> I was just going to say. <laughs> Kurt Metzger's the most multitaskingest motherfucker I've ever... It's unbelievable. He looks up, he riffs a great joke, then looks down, text, Didn't even like offer. Ash. Can I tell you? <laughs> this is crazy. You're the opposite of his philosophy. He's no, like, no, I, I found happiness in all of things. I'll tell you what. Uh, here's a shortcut. I got in that car. Accident. It's weed. <laughs> You know, I got in a car accident with fucking Barry Crimmins. We, we almost died because we went into an 18-wheeler. Because uh-huh. this asshole tried to pass an 18-wheeler on black ice going 50. So it's like a jet engine. It just sucks you in. Sounds like a Charlie Daniels song. Yeah. Oh, I don't know who that is. But anyway. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, so I'm in the passenger seat, Moja, and I'm about to go into the... Because I'm right. Some people just get scalped. But I'm going to get my head chopped off. Like I can see where it's going to hit. Because you deserve it. No, deserves got nothing to do with it. Yeah. So, so then he swerves, and the back end gets caught, and it just spit us out. And uh, so anyway, that was all like hard, terrifying. But then I was alive, and it was the most relaxing. I could do that three times a year, but I'd have to know I'm not going to live. Right. I know what you're saying. There is, that wasn't my fault. No. There like is, it could just happen anytime. Uh, so I'm there like, is yeah, no, fine. there is no more freeing moment in in a life than coming this close to. But death I, I do. Going, can we finish Sarah's thought though? Yeah. What was what was the finish? Oh of your no, thought? I just was saying that I. Th- to me, that uh, the letting go of, like, you know, desire in a way is, uh, in a way, what Christ was about. And he was about defeating your fear of death and and truly, I don't know, just giving well, up. Well, being willing to give up your family and follow him the, and all the, that all shit. The, the, all the things that give you status and give you happiness are not, they're, they're, it's a fruitless endeavor. And that to truly... Be happy is to uh, just accept the universe as it is. Yeah. Well, that's, Don't yeah. you think that's the core of, why you're yeah. happy? 
No, I know, but that's part oh. of it. I mean, but that actually yeah. is yeah. the linkage that I was trying to make yeah. earlier, which is Kurt's idea, I think, is pretty similar to what Sarah's saying, which is that essentially the reason that all of these things that seem like solutions are meaningless is because at the end of all of the lives, all of the lives, the one that includes all of the happiness and the hedonism and the one that is just austere and poverty stricken is the same result, which is death, right? Yeah, yeah. And so what, in what way does our fear of death motivate all of this? Thing? Yeah. I mean, this is the move from the idea that the sacred is an object that you love that some, the sacred is some object that will make you whole and complete, to the sacred is a depth dimension in life itself as you embrace the full range of human emotions and you engage in life. And death um, is very, very, very key in this. Um, you know, accepting not only that death is something that happens at the end of life, but death is something that is within life. If I could touch everybody here in a non-appropriate way, and, um, and, and you what would live forever... Food? It depends on what, what if we pay extra? Can I be yeah. a little mm-hmm. Pay extra. But you, but you would live forever, but you couldn't experience a depth and a density to life. I wouldn't be a god. Wait, I'd be a devil. You, if you could touch everybody in here, they'd live forever? No, if I could. If I could touch you and you would live forever. Oh, if, I if was you some, had a magical power. Yeah, magical power. Yeah. But you couldn't experience a depth and a density of your life. It would be horrific. So the whole idea is not whether life is possible after you die. The question we all have to ask is whether life is possible before we die, what that looks like. And that's what I'm interested in. That is a really interesting thought. My good friend Kyle C. said that. (laughs) (laughs) That, That's very inside baseball. Oh, we learned that first day at comedy boot camp. I remember. (laughs) No, but that's an interesting interesting thought that... uh, You know Kyle C. That's an interesting thought that essentially... That essentially it is not it is not longevity that we desire, but in fact satisfaction. Depth, depth, yeah. and so, de- well, depth and depth and knowing density. that there's an end, so you live as if there is one, right? Yeah, yeah. That's that's that can be key as well. Because yeah. if you if you don't have an end, if you're mortal, then there is no satisfaction. Yeah, but the the, the idea is death. So the old, there's a brilliant. That's Islamic. why Superman is always after Lois Lane. Yeah, can't get yeah. that satisfaction. He's pissed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> satisfaction. No In what way, man. Well, he loses his superpowers if he does. That's a problem. And Part two. That's what I'm saying. If you're just tuning in now, we're talking about the dogma of Superman. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, if, if you want to understand what this is about, there's two types of nothing. We all know this. There's nothingness that is nothing and nothingness that is something. Uh-huh. Right? Oh, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. We all know this, right? Classic. Yeah. That's a classic. That's yeah. So... There is, if you have no money, that's filtered nothing. Filtered water, non-filtered. You don't yeah. have money, that's nothing. Wait, hold if on. You, if you have... No money. Money. No money. No money. If you have no money... Ooh, that's a Jewish hell right there. Right. <laughs> okay, that's, I'm not Now you're getting to my This anxiety. is not taking yeah. the piss. I thought he made new money. <laughs> yeah. Like, you just got rich. <laughs> if you knew you <laughs> Now, if you're hood rich... <laughs> yeah, new money's not... Yeah. People get okay, depressed. So if yes. you have no money... No money, that's yeah. nothing. You lack something. But if you have debt... That's something else. That's a lack that causes you to do jobs you hate, to be died to institutions you despise, or silence in a relationship. There's the silence of just not talking, and there's the silence of something not being talked about. Oh, and then there's the silence of masturbating next to your wife while she's sleeping. Yeah, yes. That's <laughs> oh, third, yeah. And then there's the silence not of that not answering my phone because I think it might be a, a creditor. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's the deepest silence there is. Yeah, but, but th- there's, there's... I actually have a solution to that. What? Yeah. The text back feature on, on your iPhone? Yeah. Text back almost there. Every time I do that. And they will then respond, wait, who is this? 
Oh, it's a landline. And it usually fucks them up. Yeah, it totally fucks them up. Anyway. This is for creditors calling from their cell Just phone. Just any non-number. Oh, one time, I got a, a corrupt. Most of gym. them are cell phones, by the way. Did you ever have like a corrupt gym hunt you down? Well, no, I've never owed money, but but that's the Satan. <laughs> that's the devil. You do have the, the devil. Beard. That's the what? devil. The devil is what? any voice that tells you that you have to pay your debt, which means you yeah. have to fill the lack in your life. That you have to somehow fill that lack in your being with something. So debtors yeah. are the devil, right? Uh, well, yeah. here's why I agree. Wait, that debtors fuck, are the devil or de- the creditors? But, but the no, devil. if you're listen, if you, I don't know if Jews have this, but if you're Christian, here's the, the most damaging thing. <laughs> I'm listening. They're talking about force. Mm-hmm. He's no, talking about. Damaging. Foreskin. No. <laughs> oh, please. Foreskin. I wish I could go back to Europe right now with no foreskin and be a hero again. Uh, <laughs> now, that, the most damn, and I know you must, if you got Baptist shit, you must have that, that. Just that idea, that debt you're talking about, that you're born wrong. You're already oh, fucked. Oh, original sin. Yeah, you no, already should God. go to hell. OG you, shit. So that debt's already... And then, but here's my favorite part is like, why wouldn't you just accept Christ? Because it's like a made up problem with a made up solution. It's like, oh, you're in debt. Like, oh, you're going to hell. You got to accept Christ. All right. But but in in, in radical. Why wouldn't everybody just hedge their bets and say yes to Jesus? I thought it was radical. In in radical. In radical theology, anything that says you have to pay this debt, you have to be whole and complete, is the devil. So most churches are satanic. Most secularism is satanic. Cool. Anything that says you can be whole and complete no, I agree with is you. satanic, I mean, right? Wait. So the point, the point of life is to take the nothingness of something, which means the lack that you feel, doubt, unknowing, I'm not living up to something, the, not, the lack... And, and render that nothingness. What does that mean? It means forgiveness of debt. If you pay a debt, you fill the debt. If you forgive a debt, you say the nothingness that is something is nothing. And that's the key to life is how I, do we... I already paid and you that, that 20 sucks. bucks I owe you. That sucks if that's In the way of life because I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> right, can I, I get never it. figure I get out. it. I how get about it. this? I'm like, wait, no, say, wait, Sarah gets it. I'm sorry, it. Oh, Sarah, I get it. say the key of life again. <laughs> wait, hold on. Sarah. I've never heard Dis- anything that makes it. more sense to me than what you're wait, saying. Wait, distill it you for us. Or less sense. Huh? Wait, wait, this, this still, I hold on, I hold on. let her go, let her go, Sarah, go. I think I might be having like a little it's bit International of a, like, Women's Day, go. Uh, yes! <laughs> I, I don't know if I'm in like a contact eye because like Kurt's smell is so Kurt's strong. Kurt's coffee is. Um, really? This one candy? My mind is blown. I, I'm, you're basically repeating back like deep feelings I have been unable to verbalize my entire life. Like, I might start crying. Like, it is oh, so Oh, please do. Please crazy. do. We've never had a person cry on this podcast. Please. Oh, wow. I can do it. Hold on. Please. <laughs> Thank God. I thought you were talking about my smell. <laughs> no, I've been tearing like, up from candy. that myself. Yeah, your eyes tend to water. Um, but I, I, what, what I'm hearing is uh, because the reason I left my church was because I couldn't get around the idea that... Um, that they knew the the heaven hell thing. This is the way to get into heaven because I just don't believe in that concept of. I think heaven is just a, is letting go of all of it and accepting it and and the whole idea that anyone could tell anyone else what they should believe and how they should live was where I just drew the line. I was like, I can't do that. I can't say that a, a small African child or Amazon some kid in the jungle in Amazon who's never come into contact with any other society is going to hell because he didn't hear about Jesus like that. But that, well, he also worshiped the devil. At at that point, it's an immaculate heart though, right? No, no, what's going on? I need a rabbi. (laughs) Hold on, hold on. This is, look, I'm not going to interrupt her. This is how I judge religion. 
One, how much does it cost? <laughs> Two, does God do his own killing or do I have to do it? <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then three, who forces me to stay in this, my mom or dad? <laughs> and I always take over the mom one a little more than a dad one. Because I don't want to be killed with a curvy sword. I mean, in that, in that way, based, based on what Sarah is saying, like much of Christian theology is the devil because it's telling yeah. you that you owe a debt and that you have to pay it off in order to get the reward which is the afterlife yeah. and that's why I'll be moonwalking into the uh, into the synagogue for all eternity what if can I just ask this uh, uh, we don't what? have that idea of original sin by the way Jews, you don't, yeah. Jews don't aren't born with that burden we've we got, didn't believe in we've got other hell. burdens we've I mean, got cow stuff like that but yeah allergies. hold on what if you're a guy that, what if you start in prison you murdered someone because what about people that they have a debt no you're allowed to now. do that in Judaism but, but there's, a, there's, an exis- there's an existential way of reading original sin. So Lacan, a French theorist, has this idea that original sin, sin just means lack. And original means it just comes first. And to be human is to experience yourself as separate from things. So as soon as there's an I, there's a not I. As soon as there's a me, there's a not me. And the first experience of that is with the mother. And so to be human is to experience an original lack. The problem is when someone comes and says you can fill that lack. The challenge of being human is not to fill that lack, but to turn it into something beautiful, to enjoy it. Because when oh we run God, from it... It's coming. They're coming. Oh, no, right. Sarah, you're coming, yeah. I think. Yeah. I, I'm coming. <laughs> My eyeballs hey, are yeah. coming. Everybody Slow down, down, Irish. She's sliding off the chair. Oh, she's trying. <laughs> Wait, hold by on. the way, she is a squirter. Man, uh, by the way, if you could... <laughs> and, and I know this is weird to say, but if you could come and cry at the same time, I would stop doing the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I would retire a happy man. The but what, is it, what about this is really hitting you where it hurts, Sarah? Uh, not where in the, it hurts. In a good it's way. Beautiful. I mean that in, no, in a metaphorical what way. I, I actually think that my version of Christianity is this. And that's why I had to leave the church. I'm really and about what? to start will you, crying. Will you, will you articulate it like, if um, you can? And I don't okay, mean to put so you on the spot. You were born uh, flawed. We are flawed. And that we, are, um, we feel alone and separate. And, um, and we don't owe a debt. In fact, that is the symbolism of Christ's death, is that he took it for us by showing us that we, we don't have it and that we're okay. And that if you believe that, then you are free and you are in heaven. That's what I believe. But the literal shit of like, we, you know, you know, say, I believe in Jesus. Now you're going to heaven and you're, you know, your aunt Pam is there waiting for you. Like all that stuff is just bizarre to me. And, and even as from a, a young person. child, I didn't understand. I was like, "That's they don't mean that. that. These are just stories they're telling the little kids so that we'll understand." That's crazy. It. In that a Baptist church, you thought that? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's crazy you were able to look at Southern Baptist theology and go, "Yeah, this is all a metaphor." Because they're up there I, going, "Like, by the way, if you're wondering if this is a metaphor, it fucking isn't." No, that's why I left. <laughs> yeah, because that's I most- thought as a little child, I was like, "They're just telling us this. These metaphors. I get it." And then when I got older and I was like, oh, people take this shit literally? And I was like, no. I well, wait, was it hard on the streets when you left as a child? <laughs> yeah. But here, here's the thing. Here's the thing. If you, can't, if you cannot face your lack, your lack will speak. The truth that you cannot speak will find a way to speak. And it's called a symptom. Your migraine tells your truth that you cannot speak. Your bad back, your, so, your sore arm. If, if, for example, you're in a terrible relationship and you can't admit that, 
that will come out in a symptom. Your symptom is what speaks the truth that you cannot speak. And the problem is, we think a symptom is a problem. It's not as the solution to a problem. And if you think, oh, if I, I get I need more herpes? Better. I get outbursts of anger. <laughs> better, <laughs> better herpes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but you get outbursts of anger for no apparent reason. You think, if only I could do a few techniques, that would get rid of it. No, that could be your truth that you cannot speak. Or you're hungover. Or you're hungover. <laughs> yeah, sometimes a cigar is just a cigar. But if every time you're trying to go sometimes home... Sometimes a dick is what a cigar. Is yeah. What is... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's called vaping, and it's not against the law, yeah. Moshe. Yeah. Um, but, but here's a challenge. Just very quickly. One for, the challenge is listen to your symptom. Your symptom, Lacan says a symptom can, can become, and he spells it differently, S-I-N-T-H-O-M-E, which in French is Santom, right? Santom means holy man. So symptom and Santom sound the same. He says, if you listen to your symptom, your symptom will tell you the truth that you cannot face. It will tell you there's a problem in your life that you need to resolve. And then your symptom becomes a holy man. It becomes a prophet. And if you repent, which means just a change, if you look at what that symptom's telling you, you can have a richer life. But if you refuse to listen to your symptom, you will probably continue in pain and suffering. Mm, so all God. you have to I do, mean... listen to your symptoms. Listen um, to them. Well, speaking of listening, uh, I'd like to listen to your questions. Do you guys have any questions for anybody up here? But, but uh, yeah. Oh, we got our agnostic who is no longer an agnostic. <laughs> He has had a change of heart. Uh, please be an atheist at this point. That would be awesome. Yeah. Uh, I'm, like, blown away. This is so nail on the head for my human condition. I feel probably like a lot of people are... Are you Robert Smigel? No. Oh. Yeah. Um, but when you're talking about these things, like physical pain or anxiety, depression, you're talking about now as a symptom, but, but earlier... Uh, missing something you lack, worrying about something, a debt, whatever it is. What if you're in a position where, where chemically, you're, how do I word this? Chemically, something in you does not allow you to resolve that issue through the kind of thing you're talking about. Am I making any sense? I think he's asking me. That was a good me. question. <laughs> I think that was. <laughs> but it's a, it's actually... Oh, because you were in that movie with the purple drug. <laughs> no, but it's a great question. It's like. All of this philosophy Can is the star well of urge answer him? All of this philosophy is well and good until you get to somebody who's like, the reason I find a lack of a lack in my life is because I have a chemical imbalance in my brain. What say you to that? That's not a symptom, yeah. that's my brain. Yeah. I mean that's why Freud said sometimes a cigar is just a cigar. Sometimes they're, they're chemical things. But, for example, I was meeting a friend a few months ago at a coffee shop, coffee commissionary, right? And it was and I drew an R to get to it. And I bought a coffee and I bought lunch. And then as soon as I bought lunch and a coffee, I thought, maybe there's a coffee shop five minutes from where we both live with the same name, right? And I realized there was. So I had to think, is there some issue with my friendship that I would drive an hour away to, to avoid being with him? That was a symptom that spoke the truth. And the truth was, yes, I'm trying to avoid him. So you are right, there can be chemical, absolutely issues. But... But I think it's always a good thing for us to ask, is our, what we're feeling telling us something that we would rather not look at? A truth that we know but we wouldn't 
like to know we know. If you say to somebody, I think your wife's having an affair, and the person gets really angry and says, get out of my house, I never want to see you again. You're Nick's therapist. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, yeah. That, that's evidence that the person knows. He actually knows. never mentioned that. Yeah. But that's evidence that the person knows. They just want, don't want to know that they know, right? Because otherwise they'd be surprised and shocked. Why would they be angry? So there's lots of things that we know, but we don't want to know that we know. And a part of the challenge of being human is coming to know what we try to avoid knowing. All right. Can I tell you what I want to avoid knowing? And it is what I learned from religion, ultimately. Uh, from unforgiving. Deserves got nothing to do with it. That's the ultimate truth. I like how all your all philosophy is strained through film, basically. He's high. Yeah. By the way. <laughs> Any other questions? I've had a buzz. Deserves got nothing I mean, to do I with think, it. and uh, to allow me to rephrase, I yeah. think yes. I'm rephrasing to somebody that has a chemical, a real medical chemical imbalance, yeah. it still serves, while you, while you treat your psychiatric imbalance, it still serves you to look, look for the, the, the yes. philosophical answers yeah. that are available you, to all of yes. us. Yes, your partner might be having an affair, but you still might be paranoid. That's what Lacan says. Is even, if you, even if your partner is having an affair, you can just be lucky. Like, I might think, I, think, I, I, might think I have a tropical disease, and I, then I find out the doctor says, you do you have a tropical but do you disease? Not, would you not say, though, that because of your paranoia, your, your wife might have an affair? Okay. Oh, yeah, that's true <laughs> as well. Yeah, yeah that's true as well. Absolutely. I, thought, I, had, so I had this conversation prophecy. with my friend tonight. His girlfriend's hooked up with a guy that he has been so angry about for two years, and then she finally did it, but he'd harped on her so much about it yeah. that she finally did. Yes. He but, caused but, yes. it. He no, and, created and, and, it. Oh, and by the way, obsessive guys often only at, are attracted to women who are impossible to get. So the object of desire, Lacan says there's the object of desire and the object cause of desire. The object of desire is what you want and the object that is cause of desire is what makes you want what you want. So the man likes the woman but actually he only likes her because she's impossible to get. So the woman is the object of desire and the husband is the object cause of desire. So as soon as that's so triangulation, you have to have you have to have this other person having an affair or being with somebody else to desire them. As soon as you get them, you lose the object cause of desire, which is the woman's husband, and you no longer desire. I think so it's these, cool that we figured out a way, even on International Women's Day, to objectify women. It took a lot of philosophy to get there, but we did. Moshe, did I, yeah. I thought you said, you know, if you think you have a tropical disease, and the doctor says you don't have a tropical disease. Or no, oh, you do. thank God, but your wife is having an affair. <laughs> but it's not as bad now, right? You don't have that disease. <laughs> Any other questions? Mm-hmm. There's got to be somebody. Come on. Come on, baby. All right, there. Yeah, we got one over here. So if you have a friend who's, you notice that they're trying to ignore some problem, they're like, do you have any kind of right or like, is it your, uh, I'm trying to think of it, like, do you, should you tell your friend like, hey, you, you're ignoring a problem that you're going through? Or do you, should you, like, if you bring it up and they kind of yeah. reject it, like, you just, I can't. Yeah. It's difficult. It. Yeah, I understand. If, if you directly challenge them, if I say, you're being an asshole to your mom, your defense mechanisms come up and you say, I'm not, she's a nightmare. So when you directly challenge your friends, your defense mechanisms rise because they defend, they defend your ego. But if I bring you out for a drink, we have a couple of drinks, and then I say, listen, you look stressed. You look like you're having a tough time at work. You might say, yeah, and I'm really taking it out in my mum. 
So what the challenge is, so for example, a defense mechanism people have when they break up is splitting. I'm innocent and the other person's completely guilty. Sometimes that's correct, but mostly it's not, right? But that's a defense mechanism to protect against your suffering. And if you as a friend come in and point it out, it doesn't work. What you have to do is wait and wait and wait until you see a little, t- uh, an opportunity to say, I think you're just sad. Because by the way, defense mechanisms, as I say, are not the problem, they're the solution to a problem. Alcoholism is not a problem generally, it's a solution to a problem. If you fix alcoholism and you don't fix the problem, you'll, you'll take up something worse. If you've heard of CrossFit, you know, it's like, you know, no, I, seriously, seriously, I've seen it. Moshe, that's an end line right there. No, I've seen it. No, one day you're drinking too much, the next day you're flipping tires. It's true. And it's, it's horrific. It's horrific. But the point is... Yeah, but you get that shirt if you do it on your own. Yeah, yeah. So, so you know, the, the idea is splitting is a solution to a problem. It's fine. But if you don't fix it, eventually you won't be able to have new relationships. You won't be able to move on. So you as a friend, wait for the opportunity. And then you say, I think you're just hurt. And if it's the right moment, they go, yeah, I am. And then they can make the, the situation more complex. They realize that they're part of this, and then they're able to move on. So yes, Kierkegaard called it the art of indirect communication, the art of not saying it directly. All right, uh, Kierkegaard quote. Um, <laughs> are there any other um, any other questions? I believe it was Steve Harvey who once said, uh, <laughs> "Woman, you gotta cook for your man." He said, "Barbecue." He said, uh, <laughs> he said "Kurt's racist." I believe that was. Uh, uh, Steve I'm Harvey. quoting the great Steve Harvey. Mm. We have another question here. I just want to know what your stance is on social media. You talked about it a little bit, but is it a hundred percent terrible in that it is just this enabler of uh, this defense mechanism of like the pursuit of happiness, or are there ways that social media cannot be totally terrible? Yeah, I mean, well, I... You can follow at Moshe Kasher. Yeah. <laughs> it's banger after banger after banger. Yeah, yeah. Well, w- w- interesting, in social media, one defense, we all know this, is um, reaction formation, where you put out the opposite of what you are. Uh, I, I knew some... Last week I met somebody who told me they used to want to be a writer, but they don't want to be a writer anymore. But then they told me it six times in 30 minutes. And so that's, that's telling me that they still want to be a writer. If you're on Facebook and your friends are telling you how happy they are, and they keep showing how many, how many great uh, couple relationships they're, you know, they're, they look amazing, they look happy, that's often a defense mechanism against their unhappiness. So if they're, if they're always telling you they're happy, you can say, I'm sorry, you're very unhappy, right? Because, you know... Because if you're happy, the last thing you're thinking about is putting it on Instagram. So there, you see these defenses come up, and um, you know they're they're very obvious. But I do think there's loads of you know there's loads of positives about uh, social media. The problem with something like Facebook, right? Facebook is an idealized image of who you are. It's all the books that you pretend you've read and not the ones you really do. You know, it's Dostoevsky, not Fifty Shades of Grey. It's it's all the pictures that make you look good. But the, pro- the thing is, Facebook is not an idealized reputation. Rep- 
Facebook is not an idealized representation of your subjectivity. Your consciousness is an idealized representation of your subjectivity. This is your Facebook profile right here. You are hiding from yourself the traumas and the pains and the sufferings of your life right now. Because well, you on, have to on Facebook. Yes, well, I tried using it as a personal diary, and that's insane. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but Anne Frank had to be dead for her fucking real diary to come out. Yeah. <laughs> she was in the fucking Holocaust. Yeah. Actually... Um, she wasn't. But uh, we have another question. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if that was a... You're anti-Semitic or you're just so Jewish you know that. <laughs> um, my question is, like, how, do, how did you get to the point where you're able to identify those symptoms? Like, How did you get to the point where you're like, I drove an hour away because I don't want to be my friend, near my friend? Yeah, I mean, it's very difficult because we are programmed to not. You have to be a detective in your life. If you've ever watched Columbo, Columbo is probably the best TV program. UCB no laughing. All Columbo no heads. laughing. This is the biggest falk, yes. falk nest you'll ever find. Columbo, like some people here are young in America, don't know. In Europe, we love Columbo. Every day you will find a Columbo show on some channel. What if the solution right? was just watch a lot of Columbo? Yes. yes. No. But here's the thing about Columbo, right? The, it, you find out in the first five minutes who did it and how they did it, if you haven't watched it. And the joy of watching Columbo, and it is a joy, is seeing how he connects the false narrative that the murderer tells with the truth. So all the police look at a murder scene and they see what the murderer thinks, right? That, what the murderer wants you to know. But Columbo sees the one little thing that doesn't work. Oh, the, 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 what, the place burnt up because the guy smoked? Well, that's funny because that one cigarette has been stubbed out, but all these other cigarettes have been left to die naturally. And at the very end of that cigarette, there's no tar. So someone's just pretended that that's a real cigarette. So therefore, that's a problem. So we have to become detectives in our lives. Don't believe what you say or Is what that you do. season three, episode six? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Don't... Don't believe that your, your consciousness is, is a defense mechanism against what you believe. Your beliefs aren't in your consciousness. I say I love animals. I don't. I eat them. I right? fuck them. Hey, I'm so, not an animal yeah. player. Yeah. But the challenge is, and it's difficult, but the challenge is to look for the little anomaly in your life the thing that you think is not true, that's called a Freudian slip. If you're in psychoanalysis, they don't care what you're saying. They care about the moment you make a mistake. Oh, I was going to see my sister. No, sorry, my friend. Right? The moment you make a mistake, they're like, that's the truth. So if you, the challenge, and it's very hard work, and I can recommend books and stuff, but it's how do you start to listen to the little things that you think are not you, they're more you than everything else. Well, dude, because I, I agree with you. I was going to say, it doesn't really take a Columbo to get to that. I don't know. <laughs> like, <laughs> when I was in art school, I, it was like a metaphor because people that could do life drawing that didn't just do, like, from their imagination because they, they had symbols built up. They didn't know how to draw what they saw. But if you just see the fucking lines in front of you, you can draw. Yeah. So it's just yeah. that. Just look at the No, it's because you're a comedian. But see, that's the thing. See comedians, the lines. No, yeah, comedians are people who feel, to be honest, like, they feel these things and they experience it. Like, how many times have you heard a comedian say something that you know, but you didn't know that you know? Or they've helped you face your embarrassment by talking about how embarrassed 
embarrassing situation they had. Comedians and artists and musicians are very good at listening to the fractures in their existence. Well, just the, I don't know if you had this when you were a Baptist, but just like I like to just follow the actual formula I was given. And if you bother to do that, it just shows up wrong. Like the one I, you know, your religion, it's like my grandmother's in hell, but Jeffrey Dahmer's in heaven. Because mm. she didn't accept Christ, but he, he fucked and ate people, and he accepted Christ. But he's like, ain't that a bitch? Like, you know, <laughs> that's your own. That's a teaching that you believe if you're a fucking Christian. That's crazy. And if you just look at your own thing that you claim to believe, I guess that's kind of what you said. People don't believe what they say. They, yeah. they don't actually believe what they claim. Just yeah. look at the thing you say you think, and it'll just pop right out at you. Moshe, it's the stuff's really kicking in. I think. <laughs> yeah. With that, I think that's all the time we have for tonight. Yeah. yeah. Give yeah. it up. Yeah. Can I, can I tell one story? One story? One sure. story. One, one story to end the one night. Story. Fine, why not? Yeah. I've one never, story. By the way, I've never, I've never allowed somebody to dare restart the show after I declare it done. Okay. But for you, Just one I haven't story. had a clue what you've been talking about yeah. all night. Yes. This, this will sum up everything I've said. In Northern Ireland during the Troubles, the IRA had a technique. They would plant a bomb in a building and they'd phone up the police and say, you've got five minutes to get everyone out. Right? That's what you would do. So there was this story going around about this guy, Seamus, who dies and goes up to heaven. He's at the pearly gates, right? St. Peter comes out with a dusty book, sets it on the table, opens it up, looks through the book, and looks up at Seamus and says, listen, mate, you were in the IRA. Your name's not in the book. You're not getting in, right? Seamus says to him, listen, you don't understand, mate. You misunderstand. I'm not trying to get in. You got five minutes to get out, right? <laughs> that is the message of radical theology. We're all trying to get into heaven. We're all trying to escape our suffering and our brokenness. But no, the challenge is this, to embrace the grit and grime of the world. There we will find the absolute. There we will find the sacred. There we will find salvation. There we will find someone who is a pr. <laughs> you guys, thank you very much. Pete Rollins, Nick Thune, Kurt Metzger, Sarah Schaefer, and thank you all for being here. See you next month on Hound Tall. dot com.